Well, howdy, and welcome to another edition of Railfan Roberts Reading Railroad. <laughs> Chapter 15, Dire Threats Snapman, once he recovered from his first consternation and surprise at finding the Hardy Boys in the underground room, was in high good humor. He turned to his men. Just in time, he gloated, rubbing his hands together in satisfaction. If we hadn't come here when we did, they would have all escaped. The Hardy Boys were silent, sick with despair. They had been sure they were going to succeed in rescuing their father, and now the three of them were prisoners of the smuggling gang. What are we going to do with these guys? One asked one of the men. The voice sounded familiar to the boys, and they looked up. They were not surprised to see that the man was the red-haired one they had met at the pilot place when Frank had discovered his father's cap. Do with them, Snapman mused. That's a problem. We got three on our hands now instead of one. Best thing is to leave them all here and lock the door. Put gags in their traps, suggested a burly companion. Red objected. As long as the Hardys are around here, they're dangerous. They almost got away this time. Well, what do you suggest? We ought to do what I wanted to do with the old man in the first place, Red declared doggedly. You mean get rid of them, Snapman asked thoughtfully. Sure, all of them. Well... Snapman gazed at Mr. Hardy with a sinister look. I should think you have enough on your conscience already, Snapman, the detective exclaimed. I don't expect you to let me go, he added bitterly, but release my boys. They haven't done anything but to try and rescue their father. You do the same thing yourself. Oh, yeah, Snapman sneered. Don't bother yourself about my conscience. Nobody, but nobody ever stands in my way. As to letting these boys go, what kind of a fool do you take me for? Snapman shouted. If you three are such buddies, you ought to enjoy starving together. The smuggler laughed uproariously at what he considered a very funny remark. Frank's and Joe's minds were racing with ideas. One thing stood out clearly. Snapman had said the Hardys almost escaped. This meant no one was guarding the secret entrance. If we can only hold out a little while, they thought, Coast Guard will arrive. There'll be nobody to stop them from coming up here. Then, suddenly, a shocking possibility occurred to the boys. Suppose the Coast Guard could not find the camouflage door opening from the pond. During the conversation, four of the smugglers had been whispering among themselves in the corridor. 
One of them now stepped into the room and faced Snackman. I'd like a word with you, Chief, he began. Oh, what is it now? The smuggler's voice was surely. It's about what's to be done with the Hardys. Now that we've got him, the man said hesitantly. It's your business what you do to people who make it tough for you when you're on your own. But not in our game. We're in this for our take, take out of the smuggling, and we won't stand for too much rough stuff. That's right, one of the other men spoke up. Is that so, Snapman's upper lip curled. You guys are getting awful righteous all of a sudden, aren't you? Look out or I'll dump the lot of you. Oh, no, you won't, replied the first man who had addressed him. We're partners in this deal, and we're going to have our full share of what comes in. We ain't risking our lives for love, you know. We got another idea about what to do with these three prisoners, a third smuggler spoke up, and I think it's a good one. Oh, what is it, Snapman asked impatiently. We've been talking about Ali Signa. Frank and Joe started and listened intently. Yeah, what about him, Snapman prodded his assistant. Turned the prisoners over to him. He's got a friend named Foster who's captain of a boat sailing to the Far East tonight. Put the Hardys on board that ship, the first smuggler urged. Snapman looked thoughtful. The idea seemed to catch his fancy. Not bad, he muttered. I hadn't thought of Ali Cigna. Yes, he'd take care of him. They'd never get back here, he smiled grimly. From what he has told me about that friend of his, that captain will probably dump the Hardys overboard before they get very far out, the man went on smugly. Seemed like he don't feed passengers if he could get rid of them. All the better. We wouldn't be responsible. Leave him to Ali Signa, Red chuckled evilly. He'll attend to them. Snapman walked over to the cot and looked down at Mr. Hart. It's too bad your boys had to come barging in here, he said. Now the three of you will have to take a little ocean voyage, he laughed. You'll never get to the Coast Guard to tell your story. The detective was silent. He knew further attempts at persuasion would be useless. Well, said Snapman, haven't you anything to say? Nothing. Do as you wish. N nothing. Do as you wish with me, but let the boys go. Well, stick with you, Dad, Frank said quickly. Of course, Joe added. You sure will, Snapman declared. I'm not going to let one of you have the chance of getting back to Bayport with your story. The ringleader of the smugglers stood in the center of the room for a while, contemplating his captives with a bitter smile. Then he turned suddenly on his heel. Well, they're safe enough, he told Red. We have the business with Burke to take care of. Come on, men, load Burke's truck. If any policemen come along and find it in the lane, we'll be done for. Well, what a, how about them, asked Red, motioning to the Hardys. Shouldn't they be guarded? 
They're tied up tight, Snapman gave a short laugh. But I guess we better leave one guard anyway. Malloy, you stay here and keep watch. Malloy, a surely translucent fellow in overalls and a ragged sweater, nodded and sat down on a box near the door. This arrangement seemed to satisfy Snapman. After warning Malloy not to fall asleep on the job and see to it that the prisoners did not escape, he left the room. He was followed by Red and the other smugglers. A heavy silence fell over the room after the departure of the men. Malloy crouched gloomfully on the box, gazing blankly at the floor. The butt of a revolver projected from his hip pocket. Frank strained against the ropes that bound him to the chair, but the smugglers had done their task well. He could scarcely budge. We'll never get out of this, he told himself ruefully. Joe was usually optimistic, but this time his spirits failed him. We're in a tough spot, he thought. It looks as if we'll all be on that ship by morning. To lighten their spirits, the Hardys began to talk, hoping against hope to distract the guard and perhaps overpower him. Shut up, you guys, Malloy growled. Quit your talking, or I'll make it hot for you, tapped his revolver suggestively. After that, a melancholy silence fell among the prisoners. All were downhearted. It looked as if their fate was truly sealed. Chapter 16 Quick Work In despair, the boys glanced over at their father on the cot. To their surprise, they saw he was smiling. Frank was about to ask him what he found amusing about their predicament when his father shook his head in mourning. He looked over at the guard. Malloy was not watching the prisoners. He sat staring at the floor. Occasionally, his head would fall forward, but he would jerk it back as he struggled to keep awake. Snapman made a poor decision when he chose Malloy as a guard, the boys thought. Several times, the burly man straightened up, stretched his arms, rubbed his eyes. But when he settled down again, his head began to nod. In the meantime, the boys noticed that their father was struggling with his bond. To their amazement, he did not seem to be so tightly bound as they had thought. Both of them tried moving but could not budge an inch. The boys exchanged glances, both realizing what had happened. Dad resorted to an old trick, Frank told himself, and Joe was silently fuming. Why didn't we think of it? Mr. Hardy had profited by his previous experiences. When the smugglers had seized the detectives and tied him to the cot for a second time, he had used a device frequently employed by magicians and professional escape artists who boast that they can release themselves from tightly tied ropes and straitjackets. The detective had expanded his chest, flexed his muscles, he had also kept his arms as far away from his sides as he could without being noticed. In this way, when he relaxed, 
The ropes did not find him as securely as his captors intended. Oh, why were Frank and I so dumb, Joe again chatted himself. Frank bit his lip in utter disgust at not having remembered the trick. But then he eased his conscience. Dad didn't think of it the first time. I'm either. Mr. Hardy had discovered that the rope binding his right wrist to the cot had a slight slack in it. He began trying to work the rope loose. This took a long time, and the rough strands rubbed his wrist raw, but at last he managed to slide his right hand free. Hooray! Frank almost shouted. He glanced at the guard. Malloy appeared to be sound asleep. Hope he can stay that way until we can escape, Frank wished fervently. He and Joe watched their father in amazement as they saw him grope for one of the nuts. The detective fumbled at it for a while. It was slow work with only his one hand free, but the boys knew from his satisfied expression that the smugglers in their haste apparently had not tied the knots as firmly as they should have. At this instant, the guard suddenly lifted his head, and Mr. Hardy quickly laid his free hand back on the cot. Uh, he closed his eyes as his sleeping, and his sons followed his example. But opening their lids a slit, they watched their smuggler carefully. The guard grunted. They're okay, he mumbled. Once more, he tried to stay awake, but found it impossible. Little by little, his head sagged until his chest rested on his chin. Deep, regular breathing told the prisoners he was asleep. Mr. Hardy now began to work on the knot of the rope that held, kept his left arm bound to the cot. In a matter of moments, he succeeded in loosening it, and the rope fell away from his arm. After making sure the guard was still asleep, the detective sat up on the cot and struggled to release his feet. This was an easier task. The smuggler merely passed a rope around the cot to hold the prisoner's feet. A few minutes' attention was all that was necessary for the boy's father to work his way loose. Now he'll release us, Joe thought excitedly, and we can escape from here. Fenton Hardy tiptoed toward his sons. The board squeaked loudly. The guard muttered again as if dreaming, shook his head, and then sat up. Oh no, Frank mumbled, feel full of what would happen. He saw his father pick up a white rag someone had dropped. A look of intense amazement crossed Malloy's face. As he opened his mouth to yell for help, Fenton Hardy leapt across the intervening space and flung himself on the smuggler. Keep quiet, the detective ordered. Malloy had only time to utter a muffled gasp before the detective clamped a hand over the guard's mouth, jammed the rag into it, toppled him to the floor. The two rolled over and over in a desperate, silent struggle. The boys helpless looked on, their fears bounding. They knew their father had been weakened by his imprisonment and hunger, and the guard was strong and muscular. Nevertheless, the detective had the advantage of a surprise attack. Malloy had no time to collect his wits. Frank and Joe watched the battle 
in an agony of suspense. If only they could join the fight. Mr. Artie still had the advantage, for he could breathe better than his opponent. Suddenly, Malloy managed to raise himself to his knees. He reached for the revolver at his head. Look out, Dad! Frank hissed. He's got his gun. Quick as a flash, the detective landed a blow on the guard's jaw. Malloy blinked, raised both hands to defend himself as he fell to the ground. Mr. Hardy darted forward and pulled the revolver out of the man's side pocket. No funny business, the detective told him in a low voice. Without being told, Malloy raised his hands in the air. He sat helplessly on the floor, beaten. He's got a knife too, Dad, Joseph quietly. Watch that. Thanks, Joe. Her father replied. Then, motioning with the pistol, he said, All right, let's have the knife. Silently, the guard removed the knife from its leather sheath at its belt and handed it to Mr. Hardy. Frank and Joel were about to shout with joy, but merely grinned at their father. Still watching Malloy, the detective walked slowly backward until he reached Joe's side. Without taking his eyes from the smuggler, bent down, down and with the knife sliced at the ropes that bound his son. Fortunately, the knife was sharp, and the ropes soon were cut. Boy, that feels good, Dad, thanks, Joe whispered. He sprang from the chair, took the knife, and while his father watched Malloy, he cut Frank's bonds. Malloy, Mr. Hardy ordered, come over here. He motioned toward the bed and indicated by gestures that the smuggler was to lie down on the cot. Malloy shook his head vigorously, but was prodded over by Joe. The guard lay down on the cot. The ropes which held Mr. Hardy had not been cut. Quickly, Frank and Joe trussled up Malloy just as their father had been tied, making certain the knots were tight. As a final precaution, they pushed the gag which was slipping with a piece of rope, making it secure. The whole procedure had scarcely taken five minutes. The, uh, the Hardys were free. What now? Frank asked his father out of earshot of Malloy. Hide someplace until the Coast Guard gets here? Quickly, he told about Tony and Chick going to bring the officers to the smuggler's hideout. But they should have been here by now, Joe whispered. They probably haven't found the secret door. Let's go down and show them. This plan was agreed upon, but the three Hardys got no further than the top of the first stairway when they heard rough arguing voices below. That can't be Coast Guard men, said Mr. Hardy. We'll listen a few seconds, then we better run the other direction. I know the way out to the grounds. From below came an ugly, You double-crosser, you! This loop belongs to the whole gang. And don't you forget it. Listen, said the second voice. I don't have to take orders from you. I thought we were pals. Now don't you want to go through with the deal? Who's to know if we got ten packages or five from that friend of Ali Sickness? Okay, and the stuff will be easier to get rid of than those drugs. They're too hot for me. Snapman can burn for kidnapping if he wants to. I don't. The voices had now become so loud that the Hardys did not dare wait another moment. Come on, the boy's father urged. He led the way back 
to the corridor and along it to the door at the end. Suddenly, Frank and Joe noticed him falter and were afraid he was going to faint. Joe recalled that his father had had no food except the candy bar. Ramming his hand into his pockets, he brought out a, another bar and some pieces of a pretzel. Quickly, he filled both his father's hands with them. Mr. Hardy ate him hungrily as his son supported him under his arms and assisted him to the door. As Frank quietly opened it and they saw a stairway beyond, the detective said, These steps will bring us up into a shed near the pilot house. There's a trap door. That's the way Snatman brought me down. Got your lights. We haven't any time to lose. Mr. Hardy seems stronger already. I'll take the lead. As they ascended, Frank and Joe wondered if they would come out in the shed where they had seen the man named Clean picking up small logs. When the detective reached the top of the stairs, he ordered the lights out and pushed against the trap door. He could not budge it. You try, he urged the boys, and hurry. Those men we heard may discover Malloy. And then things will start popping, Frank murmured. The boys heat their shoulders against the trap door. In a moment, there came a rumble of rolling logs. The door went up easily. Frank peered out. No one seemed to be around. He stepped up into the shed, and the others followed. The three stood in silence. The night was dark. The wind, blowing through the trees, made a moaning sound. Before the hardies rose, rose the gloomy mass of the house on the cliff. No lights could be seen. From the direction of the lane came dull thudding sounds. The boys and their father assumed the smuggler's truck was being loaded with the goods, which were be to be disposed of by the man named Burke. Suddenly, the Hardys heard voices from the corridor they had just left. Quickly, Frank closed the trap door, and Joe piled up the logs. Then, silently, the Hardys stole out into the yard. No part of this episode may be reproduced without my personal permission. Rail Fan Roberts Reading Railroad is a production of Raccoon Gaming Rail's Railroad Productions. And all, all podcast episodes are owned by Raccoon Gaming Rail's Railroad Productions.